Welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I am your host, George Sapio, and our guest this week is Boston Christopher, actor in both stage and film. His film credits include The Scorpion King 3, The Frozen Ground with John Cusack, the movie Otis, and M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable. Boston is one of those theater artists who does nearly everything. He directs, he acts, he works heavily with play development, and believe me, we will get to that in the interview. He's the communications director currently for Juneau, Alaska's Perseverance Theater, and has worked with most of Alaska's theater community. We started off talking with Boston by talking about his move from pursuing a career on the big screen to coming back to the big stage. So, but then a couple years ago, I was turning 40, and I was reflecting, and I like to do that every, it seems like a cycle of every three years or so. And so I was reflecting back, but the 40-year-old one sort of seemed to be bigger, because now I was 40, and... Um, I don't really believe in those sort of markers and deadlines, but for some reason that one really did have a, an impact on me. 40 seems to be a magic number for a lot of people. It is, and it's, it's not so much like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I'm, I'm having a midlife crisis. It's just like, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Like, you, know, you realize you're not going to be there that much longer. Um, and I just started thinking about the kinds of stories I wanted to tell and the kinds of stories I was telling. And I decided that I wanted to get back more into the theater. And an opportunity came up here in Alaska to work with Perseverance Theater, which is um, the largest theater in Alaska. It's a professional theater. It's got a pretty good reputation nationally. And it was where I had my first professional acting job when I was like 20 years old or something. So it was a great place to return to. Sure, yeah. Uh, and kind of explore the idea of, oh, do I want to be down the path of um, working at a theater, nonprofit world, uh, as opposed to, um, you know, sort of the freelance life of being an actor in Hollywood land. And it's been, I've been here three years, and it's been pretty incredible. I've gotten to play some great roles. And I, they, they both really, I mean, I think this is, a, I think a lot of people will say this, but they have a different um, they have a different impact because when you're doing theater, you're right there breathing with the audience. You're taking that breath together and telling that story together, which I think is really cool. But then there's also something amazing about being in the audience, watching a film you've done and see how that impacts, um, you know, uh, the, the people in the room. And what's also cool about film versus theater is that you only have to get it once, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Once and 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 it's interesting too. I make this joke about the money: is that in film you get to do something once and you probably get eight time you get paid eight times for it, whereas in theater you get paid once but you have to do it eight times a week. So you know it's it's the the idea that um, you're capturing something that's good for all time in a sense right. uh, versus the sort of um, uh, you know sort of like you do the theater and then it disappears, which is also, there's something very nice about that. You didn't see the show too bad. It was amazing, you know? Um, that's, and that's true. And um, I want to kick back on something you just mentioned here. It's, you do it once and you get paid eight times. Okay. As, as we know, we all have to live, breathe, eat, pay rent and do that sort of thing. And we know theater is not the most lucrative of professions, so there is that, which is why I usually ask people why they went into theater instead of, you know, um, uh, slugging it out in the film industry. And there are a million answers to that. But you said you get it right once. And then yep. it's it's indelible. It's on the film. It's there. You can watch it over and over and over again. Whereas in theater, you do it Thursday night. 
Yeah. And he didn't hit that line exactly the way you wanted to. And the scene went in a different direction. And you thought halfway through as you're doing your lines, I could be doing it like this. Let me try this again tomorrow. Every night, it's different. That's amazing. There's, I mean, that there's, there's a, I think that's why people do it is, is the sense of um, the in the momentness of it all. I mean, you're being, you know, I mean, the, the goal of any particular endeavor, as, especially as an actor, is to sort of be in the moment, be present, um, you know, in pursuing a goal uh, and, and seeing what happens with your scene partner. And there's something magical about that that can happen every night, especially if you get a chance to do it for, you know, a, a nice long run, um, then, then you really see the differences in that. Of course, if you're in a sh- show that you don't like very much, then. <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, nice long runs. I, they're, they're few and far between. I mean, I know a lot of, you know, the- a lot of theaters that don't have massive amounts of funding and don't run shows for six to eight weeks, you know, run them for one or two weeks. And, you know, fully exploring a role, it's, I find it's most common with theater actors that they'll tell me, I didn't get enough of a chance to fin- you know, to, to get to the meat of the role. How long were you on stage? Oh, four weeks. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's the, the, I think part of it's the economics of theater is that they can't afford to have, you know, I mean, a lot of um, professional theaters are rehearsing plays for three weeks now and then putting them up. Um, and especially these sort of 90 minute, contemporary pieces they don't really rehearse them that long uh you know and shakespeare gets a little bit more time and musicals get a little bit more time but you're still with a musical say you know rehearsing maybe five to six weeks in some places i mean in some places it's probably longer in some places it's probably shorter sure, so yeah. night you may not feel as prepared as you'd like to be um and so a lot of times you discover things during the run and it grows so that by the end if you're lucky to have you know or to six weeks of performance, um, and you might actually feel something accomplished by the end of it. But usually, that first week or two is kind of wonky. But then it's over, you know. So right. yeah, absolutely. Let, let me let me go to one complete end of the spectrum here because this struck me as odd the first time I came across it. And you were actually a part of this last Frontier Theater Conference. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple of plays done up there, and you've actually been in a couple of them, two of them at least that I can remember. And the shows go up as sit-down readings. You get one rehearsal. This is opposed to being mailed a script a couple of weeks beforehand and having taken a look at it. But one rehearsal to try and nail this thing. So you go up the next day in front of an audience and a panel of three adjudicators. And, you know, they're going to critique not only the content, but they're going to be affected by how well the actors do the job. So you've got one rehearsal. What do you put into that one rehearsal? What's critical? <laughs> um, well, I think the I think the what I do is I try to be as as for the playwright as I can in that moment. Like I'm not going to try to overanalyze um, what what I would be doing as an actor in a full rehearsal process. I'm going to do probably what's right in front of me and I'm going to give it a hundred percent, you know, balls to the wall commitment so that the writer can at least see or hear in that particular reading, um, at least, you know, a beginning sense of what it would sound like. And I think everybody knows, I mean, I know at last frontier, I think a lot of people 
they understand the, the, the engine of it. They understand that there's only been one rehearsal, and I think they're listening to the writing. A lot of the responders or adjudicators, as you call them, read the scripts beforehand. So they're looking at it from a literary sense most of the time. Um, if I'm on the panel, sometimes I'm a respondent or I'm, I am one of those adjudicators. Right. I'm trying to think of it not through the lens of the actors that are particularly performing those roles. Cause sometimes like just now up in Alaska, um, Kim Estes, who's one of uh, a very wonderful actor, um, black man in his fifties, uh, great actor was not able to come to the, to the conference at the last minute. And I got thrown into one of his roles. Right. Um, and so I, I am neither black nor 50 nor Kim Estes. So, you know, he's a great actor. And so I was like, well, what can I do? Well, I can do, what I can do in this role and be as present as I can for the role and give the writer um, as much of the, the, the sense of, of the piece, you know, the essence of the character as I can. Um, and so I think there's, I, I think you do the best you can in the circumstances that you have. Uh, obviously there's writers who probably get stuck with actors they're not pleased with, and you and you may not get the reading you want, or you may not get the you know. A lot of playwrights have a certain kind of, um, you know, they can hear the script in their head and they know what the actor, how they want the actor to say the line. And mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. more time to discover that because they can't just be told sometimes. But in those situations, you kind of have to do that a little bit. You got to say what really you need to say it like this. And 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 at last frontier writer actually is responsible for that rehearsal i know yeah uh, that's 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 my next question because a lot of writers are not directors true. and what do you do with a writer who tries to plaster his or her subconscious vision of the play onto you as an actor well i think that the actor the playwrights have to understand that it is only one rehearsal and that they're not going to get the level of performance they might had they had a week of i've been in involved in workshops and readings that go from, you know, these day, these, you know, one rehearsals all the way up to rehearsing it for a couple of weeks and then doing a reading. So, you know, it just depends on, um, and in, you have to look at the circumstances that you're in. If you only have one rehearsal as a playwright, well, then you have to sort of gear it towards understanding that you're probably needing to give them the general sense of what the play is about. Yes. And, and they're not going to have time to discover what the play is about. So give them the main themes, give them the sort of tone and style of the piece. Like, is it? No worries. Um, so like the reading that we had of yours, like oatmeal and cigarettes, we're talking about the tone and style of that in terms of it's a little bit heightened in the reality, not a little bit, it's way heightened, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. So giving the actors the sense of like, okay, if it's writing the line between a comedy and a drama, you kind of, kind of just have to be straight with them. You got to be, really upfront and and give them the general sense of what you want it to be and i think if you talk about it in terms of tone and style then people can get it you can say oh this is like a graphic comic book or this is like you know uh, um whatever it would be you're on a cliff and you're you know you're holding each other tight as as the hurricane is coming in give them a visual sense of what it's about and what the sort of emotional context is right. then the actors can have something to grab onto um, hopefully the actors have prepared and, and, you know, read the script ahead of time and have questions for you if they need. And, um, I think that's the best you can do in that particular situation. Sounds good. You work a lot in Alaska and for those of us in, who haven't been there, uh, and those of us in the lower 48, uh, Alaska is this remote place that we don't really know a whole lot of about. 
But we know that the population isn't huge, and you've only got a couple of major cities, like Anchorage, Juneau, uh, Fairbanks, and that sort of thing, and they're so far apart from each other. How do you keep a theater community together, or do you? It's very difficult. Um, it becomes uh, because you are so far, and like I'm here in Juneau, and there's no roads here. The only way to get here is by boat or by plane. Um, and there's 32,000 people who live here, and you know the professional company that I work with, Perseverance, has been here for 35 years. So it's pretty amazing that that's um, happened, and it's sort of a, a kind of an anomaly in a lot of ways. But yeah. are there other theater companies uh, in Juneau besides that? Yes, there are. They're not, they're not to the. Um, they're they're more community based theaters. There's a theater in the rough, which does two productions a year, usually Shakespeare or some kind of historical thing. Um, Juno Douglas Little Theater, which is sort of a community banded theater. Um, there's a couple other um, small production companies that do one or two shows and um, do some musicals and things like that. So there's a, a Juno has a very vibrant art scene. I mean, in terms of visual art, in terms of um, I mean, we have two opera companies. Um, you know, there's a symphony. There's there's a lot in this little town. Right. Uh, um, yeah. you, you made it sound remote. It is very remote. Yeah, and I think that's what people like about it. Uh, is but I think you have to get out as well. You have to sort of, I love living here, but I also like to go away and see what else everybody else is doing. Um, because that's the one disadvantage we have to being, even in a city, uh, you know, you can, in the States, you can drive to another city, you know, in a couple hours usually and see somebody else's theater company, or you can see somebody else's opera. Um, and here we have to fly and that's very cost prohibitive. So, um, I think that the last frontier theater conference does a great job of at least bringing the theater community together every year. Usually there's people from Fairbanks and Anchorage and Juneau and, um, a lot of other cities, uh, that come and, and are take part in that. And it also gives us access to, um, playwrights and artists and directors and, and actors from around the country who come to that conference. So that's something that's real, um, help in keeping that sort of community together. Okay, so you've got you've got an awful lot of arts going on for a population that isn't all that big. That's impressive. It gives you a lot of opportunities as well. I mean, that's another wonderful thing about being here is um, you know you 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 aren't competing with. Uh, a ton of other actors or directors or people and uh, there's not as many opportunities though I and to make money right um i mean i count myself very very lucky that i work at a theater um and uh you know half it little over half of my time is is devoted to artistic work the other half is devoted to administrative so i do do a lot of um things on on the on the business end of theater as well what's your title my title right now is I've had three titles, four titles in four years, but my title going into the next season is artistic associate and communications director. So I handle uh, a lot of things on the communications and marketing side of the theater. Um, we have two. We're in two cities. We're in Juneau and Anchorage. We're going into our fourth season in Anchorage um, in terms of doing full seasons of work up there, and we trans shows from Juno to Anchorage and um, and so there's a lot of work done in terms of uh, marketing and PR and communications just what the message is and how we're sort of growing the theater that way and then my artistic duties include um, I manage the new play pipeline um, I act I direct uh, and uh, various other things season planning committee 
um, you know, all kinds of other artistic duties that come up with, uh, and I'm also was instrumental in this new thing we've got going right now, which is the summer fest, which is a giant festival of three, um, new plays, uh, in a full repertory for six weeks, plus new play workshops, training, uh, and all kinds of other things that are happening right here in the good old city of Juneau, Alaska. So it's been a big, giant project, and we've just finished opening all three shows as of last night, and now we're going into sort of the repertory um, run of the thing. Are, are these uh, open to submission from around the country, or is it just Alaska writers, or what's your, where, where do you call your, uh, your plays from? Well, we, 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 one of them is, uh, two of them are Alaskan specific plays. One's called The Blue Bear. It was created by Leon Inglesrud from the City Company, along with a dramaturg named Luann Schooler, based on a book by a Southeast writer. Um, and, uh, and then that's called The Blue Bear. Mm-hmm. And, we have a new piece, uh, brand. Well, that piece was brand new, but we're, we brought that back, so it's the world premiere production. Then we have a new piece called Warriors about Alaska Native warriors throughout time. That's written and directed by Dave Hunsaker, who's a playwright screenwriter who splits his time between Juneau and Los Angeles. Uh, and then we're also doing the uh, regional premiere of, uh, of Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike by Christopher Durang. Uh, and so those are the three main stage shows. And then we have the workshops that we'll be doing for a couple of weeks are um, Leon and Luann are making a new piece about Amundsen, Roald Amundsen. There's sure. a piece, Anne Washburn, who wrote Mr. Burns, a post-electric play, is coming up to workshop a play. And then we're workshopping a play by uh, an Alaska Native writer named Vera Starbird called Our Voices Will Be Heard. She's from Anchorage. So um, we, do, we do have relationships and we create relationships with playwrights who are both Alaskan and who are non-Alaskan. The mission of the theater is to create professional theater by and for Alaskans. So um, we do take that sort of one of our core values is regional voice. And so we do take that pretty seriously. Um, but we're also it doesn't mean that we don't use writers from around the country or uh, that we don't use actors or directors. We have guest people all the time because otherwise we, it is part of that isolation that we need that connection with other people and, and, and voices and, um, and to cross mingle with those people. Sure. Let's, let's talk about, you, you mentioned workshopping here. So let's talk a little bit about developmental work. When you say workshop a play, Give me an overview. What, what does that entail? What does that mean? You know, I'm a playwright. You want to do my play, but you want to workshop it. What happens? Well, you know, it depends on the playwright, and it depends. I mean, I hate that answer. I always hate that answer. It depends. Then but it don't re- give me that answer. Give me something different. It, it, it really is about finding out what the playwright needs um, in terms of that particular workshop. Like for the one coming up with Vera, she just had the play workshopped around the table at um, Native Voices at the Autry in London. So we were talking about what she want, what would her, her goals be then for the workshop here? Uh, and the one here is about, I think she's doing a five or six day uh, sort of workshop. So we talked about, well, what would be really incredible for her is to get the piece on its feet a little bit and to work through since she just spent, you know, a week or so around the table talking about sort of the underlying structure of the play. Now it's time to sort of say, well, let's put it on its feet. Let's work with it. Um, 
let's see uh uh you know what we have how do the transitions work because she's basically a first-time playwright so um so we've we've put her with a, a a really great director and um and they'll be able to work on that piece on its feet and then with leon's piece um the Roald Amundsen piece that doesn't have a script that is in the place of let's get the dramaturg, the writer, the director, um, and this, uh, another guy named Andrew McLean, who did a movie called on the ice. He's a filmmaker and he's, uh, he's Alaskan and he teaches at NYU and, but he's originally from, uh, from Alaska and, uh, and they're going to make, they're going to be in the room basically creating, trying to find the wads of the play, as they call it. Like, what is the story? Figuring out the structure from, um, from the material that they have, the base material that they've, you know, all the research that they have. Right. And that's exactly how they did the Blue Bear, although this piece is really not coming from a book. It's coming from a ton of different research that they have. And then the third play, um, Anne Washburn's piece, which will be directed by Ken Schmall, who I just saw a play of his at um, Humana, um, he, they will be doing more of a traditional, um, you know, they'll have actors and they'll work through the play and that will end up in a reading at the end of the week. Uh, and you know, they will set their goals for what they need. I think that plays in its, you know, I don't even know if she's done writing the play. So it's sort of to see what the next steps are for that play. So it's really about discovering with the writer, what they need in that moment. It's not like, hey, we're going to do it this way and it's in this box and this is what you need to do. Um, I personally love that as a director, as an actor, as a, as a, as a creative entity to um, find out from the writer really what is it that they, you know, you're really looking to see what is it that they need that serves the play for them. What's their next step? What if the writer has no idea? Well, then you help them figure it out. Um, you mean if I've, like they've written the play and they don't know what to do next? Well, you said uh, one of your playwrights is a first-time playwright, and uh, I know from working with first-time playwrights that their sense of perspective of the play as a whole and the play as a series of interconnected little moments may not be as experienced as somebody who's been in the business for a while. If you're the theater, if you're the institution who's supporting the writer – what is, I would ask the institution, what is their goal? Are they looking for work that they're trying to get in their main stage? Or are they looking for a way just to, to, are they looking to really support the writer and maybe that work gets on the main? All playwrights want a production. Let's not lie. You know, yeah. they No lying their, here on that one, I'll tell you. And everybody wants to get their play done. Not every play can get done in the time, but it's also like, well, what can the theater do to help support the writer in, in that, in the instance where, um, the play may be so new. Well, I would figure out with a dramaturg probably, or with a director, um, who's really good with story and structure and put that with a person who is a first time playwright or who has put their wads down on paper and they've got a bunch of different scenes, but they don't know how they interconnect. And then it's about asking the right questions. It's about being in the room. It's about hearing it with some actors and then maybe releasing the actors or maybe having a conversation with all of the actors in the room about what are, what are we getting from this when we hear it? What is it that we're hearing? What is it that we're, we're seeing if we're working on our feet? And then the playwright can sort of take that information and use that because plays to me are meant to be done. You know, they're not meant to be read in a chair at home. That's novels. That's short stories. That's a different form. I know about a million and a half people who would agree with that. <laughs> I mean, but a lot of, but a lot of the, the, 
problem, I think, with workshopping these days is that there's too much about the literary sense of, of the piece. And um, I mean, I don't mean to undermine that at all. I'm not saying that 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 part isn't important. You know, what are the pieces of information? This is something simple that I know designers love, right? What's the piece of information about the play that the audience is actually going to hear? Not what's in the stage directions, but what are they actually going to hear? And how can the writer make that work for the play, you know, and, and, and really sort of get down to the essence of what is it the writer's trying to say? What are you trying to say? What is it that you want to say? And then getting them in the room with the right people who can help them figure out how to say that, if that's what they need. If they're a writer who's like, this is my play, you figure it out, well, then that's another way to go. Because, you know, I don't think Edward Albee workshops his plays. I mean, he probably, you know, and maybe it's just, maybe most, maybe playwrights just want an informal reading. I mean, I think the sort of, the the workshop... uh model is something that i mean i love that it's been it's brought this huge resurgence of new plays and there's many many people writing plays which is great um but i also know that i think sometimes i've read stories about you know people will write plays so that they will get selected for a workshop they'll actually have the corrected version in the drawer but they send the the two pre the the, the draft from two times ago that needs work quote unquote well it which, goes on the resume my my play was picked for you know x y and z workshop and yada 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 you know it's another line on there it's another way of staying active staying vibrant you know keeping your head above the water because in this business it's a nightmare you know just getting anything recognized or produced i i, I mean and that and that's the thing so i mean i i just don't know it's a sort of there's good and bad about workshopping, but the good is that if we get the writer um, and and set up goals for them, and that's you know that's sort of the question you're asking. I mean, the the philosophy behind workshops we could spend a whole show on. Oh, I'm sure we could, and I'd absolutely love to, and maybe one of these days we will. I, I know as a playwright myself, I don't go anywhere without workshopping the play at least once. Um, because honestly, I know from my own perspective that all the gold that my mind has dropped onto the page may not look like gold to everybody else. And it needs to be vetted. It needs to be worked out. It needs, you know, it's, it needs that outside input to help this thing grow. Interesting you talked about Edward Albee. Um, I mean, I don't know, but I've also heard the same rumor that he does not workshop his plays. And I know other playwrights of varying experiences and abilities who... You know, when I say workshop, they look at me with a condescending smile. Right. I mean, I guess it depends on what you think a workshop is. I mean, um, I, 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 there's there's so many. I mean, it could be, you know, most likely a lot of things being called a workshop is really just a staged reading. Um, you know, I mean, let's say go back to the last Frontier Theater Conference. That's not a workshop. That's a staged reading. Right. right? A, a one rehearsal staged reading. Um, and it's not even really a staged reading. It's, you know, sort of more of a concert reading because they're all at stands. To me, staged reading means there might be some movement. And sometimes there is in those readings. People do some movement or they try to put people to certain sides or have people move just a little bit to get a sense of things. Um, and that's very helpful in those, in those instances. But 
Um, so yeah, I guess defining what it really is. And that's, I think that's the thing that I would do if I was going into a workshop is like, what is the expectation? What is the, um, you know, what does success look like? That old question of, you know, what, what do I need to get out of this workshop to make it successful for me? And if you don't know the answer, if you go in completely blind, that's okay too. You know, like, I just want to see what happens in the room. I want to have my words said by these actors and then let's see what happens. And you're going to, I always think of the playwright as, um, especially after a reading, especially the first time or even the second time, that they're already full in the brain. You probably know this, George, but mm. you're already so full with your own thoughts about what you want to do to the play that you may not even be able to comprehend what other people are saying in the room at that moment. So there's also, you just have to have somebody you trust and who can work with you as a director or a dramaturg who is, who understands you as a writer who can sort of make sure that you're getting what you need out of it. Um, That's and the hard part is finding somebody that you do trust who does get you, who knows that, uh, at least in my case, when I workshop a play, it's not about pleasing me. It's about serving the play itself. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Finding find people you can trust and that you want to work with is um, there's so many great people in this business but finding that that who is who are who is um simpatico with you um and when you find that person you end up you know hanging with them for a long time well, because sure, of course yeah directors who have the same same design teams because they speak the same language mm-hmm. uh, so it's about finding that aesthetic and really being true to you and at the same time while you're trying to, you know, get your play produced, of course. And you got to find somebody who fits you as a creative, emotional artist who, you know, shares some kind of similar vision. It might, you know, not identical. We don't want that. But, you know, somebody that you can have a fruitful association with. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's hard. You, um, you've mentioned this word dramaturg a few times, and I want to touch on that. But you've been directing a lot. Um, I know you've directed a couple of our Alicia Jones's plays, a couple of other things. Um, obviously, you love directing, so let's talk about why that is, what you get out of it, what you do. But let's touch briefly on this dramaturg thing. It's a word that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What is a dramaturg? Why do you employ one? And how do you work with one? What it means in the American theater right now to me is it's somebody who um, is an advocate for the playwright um, who helps the playwright, who asks the right questions of the playwright is sort of like a voice for the playwright. I mean, there's also different kinds. I mean, we're talking, if we're talking about new play development, that's what a sort of dramaturg would do um, with a new playwright. If they're working at a theater, they may be doing, um, might be doing what we call production dramaturgy, which is they may be looking at, um, you know, finding the historical context of uh, the 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 play they might be doing from, you know, let's say they're doing a Shakespeare play. Um, so they might be the person responsible for doing all the research and bringing that into the actors and, um, and, and helping to write articles for the program and um, things like that. So I think it gets confused because there really are different jobs when it comes to what a dramaturg means. A new play dramaturg would be somebody who's working with the playwright on the play. Um, and so 
and I think a lot of directors are their own dramaturgs. Um, you know, I, I remember reading something about Oscar Eustace who said, you know, he is as he, you know, sort of how he started was that way. Uh, and he doesn't employ dramaturgs. He does it all himself because he thinks as the director, he needs to have all that knowledge and all that. And by doing all that research, um, on a play that may, you know, if he has to do a play, uh, if he's doing long day's journey into night, let's say he's going to do the work himself so that he can actually understand the play better. Um, so it just depends on the, um, the situation and who you are as uh, a playwright or director, whether you want to work with a dramaturg. I've done both. Um, I've worked with a dramaturg. I've worked without a dramaturg. Um, and both times, you know, um, or, or either way, I mean, whether I worked with one or without, I've only, I have never worked with a dramaturg on a play that wasn't new. So, um, I, I haven't had the, the, so I've had the benefit, like when I did betray, I directed betrayal. I had to do all, I did all that work and I, I would prefer to do that myself. Um, it just depends on the relationship you have with the playwright and then how that threesome works. Uh, and you have to set up really, um, defined goals. And when you come into the process and, uh, where they are in the process, if they've been working separately and then you're coming as the director or whether you've started with the, the, the playwright and now you're bringing in a dramaturg. So every case is different. And, um, I think it just, uh, uh, I think having expectations and understanding roles is very important when you get into those kinds of situations. Um, so that everyone knows what their job is. I think that's, you know, clarity is always good, right? Clarity is a wonderful thing. I strive for it yearly. Yeah, it's I, 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 sometimes, and because because the position of uh, and dramaturg in the last I don't know probably five to ten years has become a really uh, much more front facing job. I mean, I think for many many years, the the title at theaters called literary manager that would be who your dramaturg was. When you say uh, front facing, what do you mean? I mean that it means it's become a it's become a position that has become more important or more in the forefront of the consciousness of the American theater. That it's become a job that has now more and more plays have a dramaturg attached to it. A specific dramaturg play may or may not, but most of them do. Is it becoming uh, fashionable now? I don't know if fashionable is the right word. I think it's becoming it might be um yeah, I don't know if that's I don't know if I would put that word on it, but I guess I would say that it's 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 uh there's something great about more voices in the room, but there's also something that can be um limiting about that as well. So it's it's a matter of figuring the balance, a balance, right? It's a balance, I think. So finding the right balance for um the particular project, like the one project I was just describing to you earlier, the Amundsen project that um, we're working on with Leon Ingalls Rude, who's from City Company, uh, Luann Schooler, who's a dramaturg uh, from the West Coast. She worked at um, uh, Berkeley Rep for a while, and um, she's a playwright as well, and a great actor. And then Andrew McLean, who's a filmmaker. So all three of them are creators in this project. Uh, and I wouldn't say that there's one particular person who's the dramaturg, but they're all working together towards a common goal and knowing what their roles are 
um, was very important. And they spent two days in New York this spring sort of working through what the project could be, what the project, um, you know, how they wanted to move forward, what their roles would be. And, um, and I think that was really important work that they did uh, so that down the line, they, they don't have to have questions about that. So what do you like as a director? I, I, because I've worked with several, many different directors, and some of them tell you what to do every couple of words, and they're really attentive to you, and you know you're being directed. Or And some other directors just kind of sit back and let things happen organically. I know you work with a lot of new plays, and the reason I'm asking this is because these plays have not been done before. All right, it's not That's like right. you, it's not like you've seen Long Day's Journey and Tonight, and you know what so and so did, and you know what that person did with you know who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and all that sort of stuff. But you've got something that's going up on its feet for the very first time. It's it's you're teaching it to walk, you're teaching it to speak, and you're going to present it, and it's going to have its own little coming out party. So for you, Boston Christopher, as the director of this. What's your technique? I mean, how much research do you do, and what's a rehearsal like with you? Okay, so on a new play, um, I believe my job is to manifest the vision of the playwright um, and to put on stage what they have um, worked to put on paper and to work with that playwright to figure out what it is they're trying to say and, um, and, and manifest that physically uh, into a living um, object, right? Mm-hmm play such as Betrayal, let's say, or a, a piece that has been around for a while, um, then my job is a little bit different. Um, my job, because there might be uh, tons of um, you know, critical analysis that you could read, but I think then my job is to figure out what is my point of view on the themes that the playwright has written, and then present a point of view in creating a world uh, uh, for that play. So... Um, each of those would be just a little bit different. I and mean, I think I still have to have a point of view when it comes to a new play. Um, but my point of view has to be very in line with um, the playwright's uh, vision. I'm not saying that I want to do Shakespeare in space. I don't really go for that kind of stuff. But I do want to find, you know, I want to know what my point of view is on any project I'm working on. And then my my technique is... No, it's interesting. Every director is different. And what's funny about directing is that it, it may be the loneliest profession. I mean, I know playwriting is probably considered the loneliest profession, but um, directors don't get to see other directors work a lot of the time. You get to see the end product. Right. You get to see the final performance, but you don't actually know how they got there. So being inside somebody's room is is really exciting. And I observe as much as I can. Any guest director, any director usually here at the theater, well, it's part of my job actually to go and watch rehearsals, but um, I love being in the room in the beginning because I I like to see what that's about. So, um, but I do, um, I do improvs uh, depending upon what the piece is about. Um, If it's, I'll do, uh, you know, let's say, let's take the beginning rehearsals, right? Like the first week of rehearsal. It may be um, doing some table work. I know with with uh, with betrayal, it was all about the text. It was very much about the text, making sure we understood what we were saying, how we were saying it, what those silences, ellipses, and pauses meant, how that was impacting the action of the play. Working through that with folks and understanding, um, you know, basically creating the roadmap that then we were going to use throughout the rest of rehearsal. Um, so. Uh, 
Um, and then we would do improvs. Um, and uh, on a new play, I would do that too, because that really can help a playwright explore uh, character mm-hmm. and, and get clearer on what that is and do a lot of that in the beginning so that, um, you know, you can, you can, and, and that is sort of a really fun tool to loosen up everybody as well in the beginning. Cause you're, you know, an improv doesn't have to be, and I don't mean improv like you see on a Saturday night at UCB, you know, we're talking right, about, right. Improv, which is a whole different um, sort of thing. And there's lots of, you know, research people can do to figure out what kind of improv they like to do. But, um, but it's really to set up a situation and to see behavior, to faith, to find behavior that would be coming out of the given circumstances of the moment uh, and, and figuring out who these people are. And so that's, that's a lot of fun to do. And then I'm, I'm, I also consider myself uh, uh, a minimalist. <laughs> uh, what does that mean? Minimalist. It means that I don't want to over, uh, I don't want to over uh, interpret. I don't want to overdo things. I don't want to take something. I want to do like in my in my staging in and in the setting, uh, in the scene des- in the design. Uh, I'm very like um, you know. I want to do as much as I can with as little as possible. Um, I'm a big believer in things turning into other things. So like in betrayal, we had a, a thing we called the beast, which was a piece of uh, a set piece that was that was the bed was a couch was a bar uh, uh and i think that oh and it was also a bookcase i love so, things like that so using yeah. that and it's also dependent upon you also have to figure out really at first the space you're working in and perseverance theater is um, I'll give you another example. Perseverance Theater is a uh, is very limited. It's it has limited wing space, that basically none, and it has no fly space. So one of the first shows I did here was the Thirty Nine Steps, and so I had to figure out with my designers how to do that show in this space and how to come up with a concept that would work in this space. We couldn't, you know, bring a bunch of things in from the wings and we couldn't fly things in. And so, so it was like, well, how do we then envision this piece being here? And so what we did and what we ended up with was envisioning that this was an abandoned theater. Um, and so there was a big pile of junk uh, in, in, on stage and everything that these actors were doing was created basically from that pile or something that would have been in the theater. So, um, the, like the first, the second scene when the guys come out, it's Mr. Memory and they're doing the thing in front of the red curtain. We had a, a costume rack that was had red, that had tight red satin curtains onto, and they were sort of old and ratty red, red, red satin curtains. And, and when they needed a chair for the scene in the, in the in the um, when they went to the the when they went somewhere I'm, I can't remember exactly but they would just pull the chair out of the out of the pile and put the chair down and so things became other things in that show as well um, and uh, it was just a matter of figuring out how to put the specific show in the space you're in and then working from that right. so. How- a concept, having a vision, having something that you can work from, having a plan that then you can improvise off of. Those are all sort of the tools that that I use in terms of um, how I get to where I want to get to. Knowing I don't go into a rehearsal no, not knowing where I want to go. But here's the best piece of advice I ever heard about directing. And it comes from Kathy Bates. 
She was on uh, Inside the Actor's Studio years ago. And uh, Mr. Lipton asked her what she was looking for in a director. And she said, what I want in a director is someone who's been there before me and who's waiting for me when I get there. And I thought that was a perfect analogy of how a director should work with actors um, because the last thing you need to do is on the first day tell someone where they need to go and how they need to stand and what they need to do to, and how they need to say that line. There's sort of an exploration that has to happen, a sort of discovery that has to happen, um, and, uh, and a guidance. And so I feel like that's sort of my role as, as a director is to, to have a vision and then find the the nice sort of way of working towards getting everybody into the same space with me and really understanding the tone and style of the play as well if you're you know and, and getting everybody into that into that world using whatever tools and techniques and improvs and and exercises you need to do to do it and i think i think that's the best way for a theater person to to go about doing things is just to do a lot of different things i mean i i feel sometimes that i you know, I was an actor for a number of years and I was really focused on being an actor. And now I've sort of opened my world a little bit and I'm directing more and I'm trying to um, be more involved in creating a sense of community wherever I happen to be. And so and that's been a real joy and a real. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's just been a really wonderful experience to 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 go through. So um, I'll be doing uh um, I, my next big challenge, this is kind of fun to talk about, but my next big challenge is an Iliad uh, by Lisa Peterson and Dennis O'Hare, the one-man show retelling of Homer's epic. Uh, and so I'm, I'm starting rehearsal for that very soon, and that opens our season here um, in Juneau in September. And so that would be my next big uh, project. It's actually supposed to be, we're, do, we're sort of, Finding the right kind of concept for that, which is it's going to be really meta. That's a sort of word we're using. Yeah, I've heard that word used a lot lately. It's going to be used very meta, and and um, we're kind of, um, I, I, I again, like I said, I'm a minimalist, so I love sort of. I'm trying to figure out. So I think what we're going to do um, for our set is the the summer company, the kids company that's going on. We're going to sort of as they're striking that. We're going to sit there in the audience and watch them as they strike it, and then at one point say stop, and then and then go from there. And so we want to kind of have a deconstructionist kind of theater space that that this story gets told in. It's a really great, uh, it's a great play. It's a really wonderful piece of theater. So I'm 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 looking forward to that. Boston Christopher, it's been an absolute wonderful pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so so much for taking the time to talk to us. Have a great summer.